Broncos cheerleaders, and you're listening to Sports Crunch with Decrom. This is Sports Crunch with D-Crom. I'm your host, David Cromwell. And today, we reach the midway point of our 2022 NFL Draft Recap Series with a stop in what is, at least on paper, the most stacked division at quarterback outside of the AFC West, the AFC North. Did the Browns make the necessary upgrades to their roster through the draft in order to be better equipped for a Deshaun Watson suspension? Why can this particular Ravens draft class be one that rivals their 2018 class? Did the Steelers pick the right quarterback for their offense? And did the Bengals add the pieces they needed to in order to defend their AFC crown? Joining us to answer those questions and a whole lot more is my good friend and another fellow country music stan, Billy Rossetti of the USA Today Bengals Wire. It's always a pleasure having you with us, Billy, my friend. How you doing? Good, man. Yep. Uh, like like David said, fellow country music fan, uh, fresh off a trip to uh Barefoot Country Music Fest out in Wildwood. That was a lot of fun. Just saw Thomas Rhett uh, a few days ago, at least at the time we were recording this. So, yeah, I love it. We were, we were talking about Luke Combs uh, before we started recording. So Yeah, that new album is something else, isn't it? Yes, it is. Another uh, Luke, Luke Combs just doesn't miss. That's, that's the bottom line. Luke Combs just doesn't miss. Another incredible. I was listening to that and Carrie Underwood's new album. So great stuff. Yes, and uh, he has a nice football reference uh, on his new album. When I was 15, I had running back dreams. So there you have it. Check out that new album, folks. It's amazing. Luke Combs growing up. But we are here to talk uh, football today, particularly the AFC North draft classes. So let's get started with the Cleveland Browns. But before we analyze their draft class, we have to talk about the elephant in the room for the Browns. And that is obviously Deshaun Watson, who they traded this year's first, their first rounder in 2023, and their first rounder in 2024 to acquire from the Texans. But uh, as we speak right now, his uh, disciplinary hearing in front of uh, the NFL and NFLPA appointed uh, disciplinary officer, Judge Stu Robinson, is still ongoing. And uh, we could hear some news about a suspension for Deshaun Watson in just a matter of days. But uh, hypothetically speaking, should Deshaun Watson be suspended for the entire 2022 season? Do you think the Browns end up with a top 10 pick in 2023, which is one that will obviously belong to the Texans? Uh, so as, as far as the length of the suspension, I wouldn't be surprised at this point if uh, the NFL does go for a season-long suspension. I mean, we've seen the history of some of these suspensions that the NFL gives out. I mean, you know, an example, even in just this division, obviously this was years ago, we look at a guy like Ben Roethlisberger who had the motorcycle accident and the NFL slapped him with, I think six games. And I think if I remember correctly, it came down to four, but still, they still nailed him for a few games. I mean, they just suspended uh, Calvin Ridley an entire season just for gambling. So it would not surprise me in the slightest if they go for the season long suspension I mean, the guy, you know, has already gone out and settled 20 of the 24 cases. So there's still, you know, four of them pending. So obviously there's something there. So it would not surprise me at all uh, if they get the season long suspension. I think the minimum he's going to get is probably eight. You know, it has to be at least half the season, but I think it is going to be uh, the full season. And the Browns were obviously prepared for this possibility, the way they structured the contract. Although I think uh, if, he does 
get suspended the entire season. I think the contract is just going to toll over to next year. As far as, you know, top 10 pick, I mean, it sounds like there's a possibility that they're going to try to, you know, reconcile things with Baker Mayfield. And if they're able to get him on the same page and get him as the starting quarterback, I still think this is going to be a really good roster and, and a really good team. I mean, you look at this defense, um, especially the secondary. I mean, they went out, you know, they, they did trade uh, Troy Hill back to the Rams, but you still have obviously Denzel Ward, who just got his big money. Greg Newsom is going to uh, get better in his second year. Greedy Williams, hopefully he'll, st- he'll stay healthy. And then uh, even at the, the safety position, guys like John Johnson, guys like Grant Delpit, they've been improving. And then, of course, you know, you still have Miles Garrett causing problems. They were able to get back to Devin Clowney. So this defense and, of course, JOK in the middle of that defense. There's just so much talent on this defense. So they think that alone is going to win them a few games and kind of push them out of that, that top 10 uh, draft pick spot. So if they can find a way to – reconcile things with Baker Mayfield. I still think this is a, a potential playoff team. Um, even if they have to go with Jacoby Brissett, I mean, Brissett's not terrible. So he he might be able to win them a couple games. But again, I, I think the defense is just so good. And obviously the offense around whoever the quarterback is, is going to be enough to help uh, kind of keep this team afloat, going out and getting Amari Cooper. And, you know, you still have Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. So I think the Browns will be fine. Uh, Roster-wise, I think they'll still win uh, a decent amount of games. So I don't think they're going to get a top-10 pick, but I think there's still potential, um, again, if they can figure out a way. And it's a long shot because we know Baker's basically ready to say, you know, peace out. I'm ready to sit out the entire season or do whatever he wants to do. So it's going to be really interesting uh, to see what happens from the, in that aspect. Oh, I wholeheartedly agree, Billy. The Browns are an extremely stacked roster, uh, regardless of who plays a quarterback for them. And you mentioned that secondary as a reason why. And with the first pick in this draft, the Browns uh, added to that secondary with the 68th overall pick by taking Mississippi State cornerback Martin Emerson. But uh, you mentioned all those guys ahead of him on the depth chart. Obviously, Denzel Ward, who just got paid. Greg Newsom, the second, who had an amazing rookie season. And uh, Greedy Williams, who's uh, shown flashes. Uh, how does Martin Emerson fit into this deep and talented Cleveland secondary at the moment? Yeah, you, you made a really good point there. You know, the Browns are obviously you know, pretty well stacked at the at the quarterback position with Denzel Ward, who just, got, of course, got a huge extension, about $20 million a year. Uh, Greg Williams, or excuse me, Greg Newsom got better as his uh, rookie season went along. So he's pretty well set there, I think, as the number two corner. Uh, and, and Greedy Williams, obviously there as well. Hopefully he can stay healthy. So, you know, at best, maybe a corner four. But I think Joe Woods is an interesting person to take all these corners and try to figure out how to best utilize them, maybe kind of mix and match, especially in a division where you have so much talent at the wide receiver and the tight end position. I mean, you have Pittsburgh with Deontay Johnson and Chase Claypool, Cincinnati, obviously with uh, Chase Boyd and Higgins, Baltimore with uh, Mark Andrews and the, the, the guys that they drafted, which we'll get into in a little bit. Just so much talent uh, throughout this division in the passing game. So it's going to be really fascinating to see, you know, how much they're going to utilize Emerson. Are they going to use more dime packages? Are they going to um, mix them in as like a hybrid guy, maybe like a 
three safety look really going to be, you know, I'm really going to be interested to see how they, how they utilize him, especially considering, you know, this was their, like, like you said, their first draft pick. So uh, not too much pressure on him, but, you know, certainly an interesting position when you're uh, the first, you know, kind of the leader of your draft class, even if you're uh, a third round pick. So I'm, I'm going to be fascinated by this one for sure. Yes, and uh, people say that Martin Emerson uh, is very, very good as a cover man, but uh, he uh, struggles mightily against the run at this time. But uh, given uh, how injuries often strike the cornerback position, especially with a guy like Greg Newsom II, there's a realistic chance that Martin Emerson is going to have to be prepared to start at some point this season. Yeah, no doubt. Like like you said, he's you know had his kind of injury concern. You know, he was banged up a little bit last season. Obviously, Greedy Williams has had some injury concerns as well. So it's not out of the question that uh, Emerson is going to have to step in and, you know, play some meaningful snaps, even if they both stay healthy. I could, you know, that's certainly a situation where, uh, you know, Joe Woods feels good about him. Maybe he mixes him in there every so often. So this is going to be a, this is going to be a fascinating group to watch. I think, um, you know, outside of Denzel Ward, how, how the Browns are going to utilize kind of these, uh, these next three guys here. So it's, um, there's a lot, there's definitely potential here. Uh, we talked earlier, just, you know, this is going to be one of the reasons why I think this Browns team is going to be pretty good this year. Again, you know, depending regardless of the the quarterback situation. So this is going to be, a, this is going to be one of the more intriguing uh, position groups, certainly in this division to watch. Yeah. Those Browns corners, uh, four deep at least. And with their second of three third round picks, the Browns added to the pass rush by selecting UAB edge rusher Alex Wright. And uh, they did bring back Jadavion Clowney, albeit just on a one year deal. And uh, the big question I have about Alex Wright is can you see him as that long term bookend to Miles Garrett coming off the edge? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, they're obviously planning to have Miles Garrett there for quite a while. And as, as long as he's there, you're. You know, you, whoever's opposite of him isn't going to have as much attention on him. So, you know, Wright comes into a, a situation where, you know, he doesn't have to get thrust right in because, like you said, they did get back to Devin Clowney on a one-year deal. So he'll certainly play a, a good bit of snaps opposite Garrett. Wright can mix in kind of in and out, be like a, a situational pass rusher to start uh, as a rookie. And then eventually work his way into that number two edge role uh, once they likely move on from Clowney uh, in 2023. So I, I absolutely think this is kind of both a, uh, you know, certainly certainly in the short term, but more long-term uh, vision uh, for Alex, right? But he could certainly work in. I think you can kind of build yourself a nice little uh, top three, top three group there uh, with Garrett, Clowney, and Wright. So I'm going to be fascinated you know, certainly going to be interesting. And then, you know, they still have uh, Chase Winovich there and uh, Stephen Weatherly is kind of like depth veteran pieces, but I think Wright can work right in and mix himself in well with that group early on. Uh, absolutely. Uh, you got to send waves of bodies to get a good pass rush at today's NFL. Alex Wright definitely gives the Browns more depth there. And at pick 99 overall, which was a compensatory selection, the Browns added another weapon to the wide receiver room in Purdue's David Bell. Now, David Bell, kind of like his fellow Purdue Boilermaker, George Karlaftis, got dissed on during this process because of the measurables. But like Karlaftis is a Purdue teammate that went 30th overall to the Chiefs. He is a steady, dependable, consistent player. 
So uh, the only question I have about him is what skills does David Bell bring to the Browns wide receiver room that were lacking before uh, the draft? Yeah, Bell's fascinating. You know, like you said, he was, you know, maybe not the biggest guy. Um, didn't test all that great at the combine. So that dinged him a little bit. But he's he's a steady guy. He was a, a consistent performer. You know, he hit a thousand yards twice at Purdue. He's just kind of that, you know, that blue chip player. You know, he's he's just one of those typical guys that, you know, he's he's a lunch and pail type type of worker. He'll come in, he'll do his job, and he'll get out of there, and you'll be more than satisfied with what you get out of him. And I think with you know this in this offense too. Like we just talked about with Alex Wright um, opposite Miles Garrett, David Bell's not going to be thrust into, you know, a huge prominent role right away with a lot of pressure on him because they have Amari Cooper. I think he's going to fit in pretty well in what Jarvis Landry used to do in this offense. I think David Bell is going to be a very fine Jarvis Landry replacement uh, for the Browns. So I really liked, I uh, really like this pick here. I mean, you're just inside the top 100 here. I think it was pretty, pretty good value here. I'm you know, really excited to see what they do here. And I think it's going to put pressure on some of the other guys, like say Donovan Peoples-Jones, a guy who's kind of been there a couple of years and hasn't really stepped up like some of us have hoped for, you know, so there's, uh, there's potential for someone to take over that kind of number two receiver role in Cleveland. And I think David Bell certainly can be that guy. So really excited to, to watch his development this uh, this this preseason. Oh, absolutely. I didn't even think of him as a Jarvis Landry replacement, but that is an excellent, excellent point. Like him as a, the Jarvis Landry to the role Amari Cooper is going to play is definitely the most ideal situation for the Browns uh, in the long run. And now on to the Baltimore Ravens. And uh, this is almost cliche. The Ravens crushed the draft, but this year I think we can really say they crushed this draft. Like I alluded to in the intro, this could easily be their most star-studded draft haul since their 2018 draft haul that bought them uh, Lamar Jackson, Orlando Brown Jr., and uh, Mark Andrews. And uh, this draft haul started with arguably the best player in this draft period in Notre Dame safety Kyle Hamilton, who fell all the way to the 14th overall pick. And uh, a lot of uh, people outside the NFL had Kyle Hamilton as the number one guy on their overall draft boards, but uh the NFL, obviously, because of positional value, let him slide all the way to the Ravens. And what makes Kyle Hamilton such an extra special talent? And why do you think he fell all the way to 14 aside from positional value? So obviously he didn't test all that great. A lot of people were obviously knocking his 40 time. I mean, you know, you see a force, you know, a, a safety or a supposed top 10 prospect running a four, six forty, and people are like, Oh, well, he's not fast enough. This, that, and the other thing, blah, blah, blah. Listen, 40 times are nice. I, I know a lot of people like to hype up on them for, you know, whatever reason, and they're fun to watch, but when it comes to a player like a safety, if you're running 40 yards, you're either returning an interception for a touchdown or you just got burned and you're chasing the receiver down the other way. So if you're running 40 yards as a safety, either something went really great for you or something went really bad for you. That aside, he's just an all around great player. He's got, he's got the coverage skills. He's got the, he's got the length. He's got the, the, you know, field awareness. He can cover so much space. He's just so like, he, he just stretches the field. So good. You can kind of move him anywhere you want. He can play, 
deep as a free safety. He can play in the box as a strong safety, which I think is kind of going to be the role, at least early on, what he's going to do in Baltimore, because, of course, they also signed uh, Marcus Williams in free agency. So I think he's going to be more of the, in the free role. Um, Hamilton's going to be in the strong safety role. I could also see this team doing a lot of three safety work. You know, there was obviously talk of, talk of what they're going to do with Chuck Clark, and they have, you know, a couple other safeties there. But this is this is a potential three safety. That's kind of the new flavor of the month, right? It's three safety defense. Everyone's copying Iowa State. Baltimore is a team that can really do that. Um, but like you said, positional value, I think, is another reason why, you know, you look at some of the teams in the top ten, not a lot of them really had a huge need at safety or they just felt they didn't want to, I guess, reach on a safety uh, with a top 10 pick. I mean, I, I thought Atlanta was a possibility uh, at number eight when I was kind of running through some of my mocks. Um, I think it was really surprising. You know, he's sitting there on the board for Minnesota 12, and they, of course, drop all the way back to 32 to let the Lions take Jamison Williams. So that was a possibility. Um so a lot of, uh, you know, there were some interesting spots that he could have went that he got passed on. Um, and I mean, to me, safety is becoming more of a, a value as a position. I, I think we need to start embracing more like, you know, a few years ago, it's like, oh, well, strong safety, you know, whatever. Safeties aren't that strong. Safety is a big position now in this world of, you know, getting back to too high safety and quarters and all, all that stuff. You need safeties that can kind of do it all. Look at the LA Chargers. Draft a guy like JT Woods in the third round. Well, now they're going to let Derwin James play nickel, you know, be in the box a lot more, kind of do all this stuff. While JT Woods and Nasir Adderley are the two deep safeties. And this is a guy in, or this is a head coach in Brandon Staley, who's like really good at understanding the safety position. So if this guy's doing what he can with all these safeties, I think that kind of tells you that, yeah, safety position is going to be, you know, it's going to start to explode, I think. And I'm, I'm excited to watch it. So, but yeah, Kyle Hamilton in this Ravens defense. Now, obviously it's a new system with Mike McDonald, but he's been with the Ravens before. I think there's a lot of potential here. I'm really excited to watch Kyle Hamilton in this Ravens defense. Oh, absolutely. And uh, Mike McDonald, I think is going to run a very similar scheme to Brandon Staley. And Vic mm-hmm. Fangio. And you can't forget Vic Fangio in this equation because Vic Fangio was Brandon Staley's mentor and he right. learned about those concepts from Vic Fangio. And it's the Fangio Staley revolution at the safety position that is sweeping the entire National Football League as we speak. Do not forget that at all, folks. And uh, the Ravens were also able to get another first round pick because they absolutely fleeced the Arizona Cardinals by trading away Hollywood Brown and the Cardinals gave them their first round pick and the Ravens traded back two spots and selected Iowa center Tyler Linderbaum, who was easily the most hyped center prospect in years. And uh, a lot of people thought he would actually fall out of the first round because of his lack of uh, positional versatility and uh, a lot of people thought he was scheme limited, especially to his zone scheme. And this is the only kind of wrinkle I see with this pick, so to speak, uh, is that the Ravens, I believe they run more of a power uh, blocking scheme. And Tyler Linderbaum, they said, was more of a zone blocking guy. So do you think the Ravens will have to significantly adjust their blocking scheme for Tyler Linderbaum? I mean, to me, you know, even if they have to, you know, it's... I don't think it's a huge transition. I think a lot of, you know, there's, there's a lot of 
blendability. I don't know if that's a word, but it is now <laughs> blendability between adaptability. Adapt. That's a good way to put it. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, between the zone, between his own scheme and uh, a man scheme, because in the end, you're kind of attached to a man, no matter what zone. Obviously, you're just kind of more looking at an area, but at times you are sort of fixated on a man. But, you know, it's, it's a top 25 pick, so it's not like it's a huge – I mean, we've seen centers go much higher than this and, you know, to a varying degree of uh, success over the years. So top 25 pick, didn't have a problem with it. And, you know, again, this, you, know, you think of this as kind of a luxury pick, right, because, you, you know, you get this first-round pick by trading away Hollywood Brown, a guy that, you know, who knows what the Ravens – we're going to do with him down the line. I think, you know, they're seemingly wanting to involve their tight ends a lot more, I think in the passing game anyway, rather than their receivers. So I, I think uh, this is kind of a deal now, you know, Arizona of course did get a, a third round pick in return, but still, you know, first round pick. And we kind of talked about this earlier, the first round pick, you know, Arizona getting first round pick for Hollywood Brown versus the Eagles getting a first round pick for AJ Brown or excuse me, the Titans getting first round pick for AJ Brown and the Eagles had to give AJ Brown about $25 million a year. So Baltimore, I think made out, you know, really good in getting that first round pick from, from Arizona. So this is kind of a luxury pick. They needed interior linemen, you know, so now you've got an interior of Linderbaum, you've got Tyree Phillips, you've got Kevin Zeitler, and obviously you still got your two uh, strong tackles there in Ronnie Stanley and Morgan Moses, who I really like that free agent signing, by the way, uh, for the Ravens and, uh, and Morgan Moses. So I really like uh, the potential they have up front. I think they can really do a lot here in the run game. And I think Linderbaum is very smart. He'll be able to kind of adapt to whatever he kind of needs to uh, in Greg Roman's system. So this is going to be this is going to be really fun to this, this offense is going to be really fun to watch, I think. Oh, it, it totally is. And the Ravens, uh, even though they might not run a pure zone blocking scheme, they've earned the benefit of the doubt with Iowa offensive linemen because they picked a, a stud Iowa interior offensive lineman back in the day named Marshall Yanda, who mm-hmm. uh, is uh, obviously on the all Ravens team and probably a future Hall of Famer in my view. And uh, Tyler Linderbaum will continue that tradition of Iowa interior offensive linemen in Baltimore. I have no doubt about that. And on day two, the Ravens uh, stuck to their board and picked uh, two players that slid for injury reasons. In the second round, they picked uh, David Ojabo out of Michigan, who obviously knows defensive coordinator Mike McDonald very, very, very well. Uh, he obviously fell that far because of the Achilles injury he suffered at the pro day. And Travis Jones at 76 overall, who reportedly slid because of long-term concerns about his knee. So if you had to make a guess here, in the long run, who will turn out to be the bigger steal of those two for Baltimore? David Ojabo or Travis Jones? He stays healthy. I think it's Ojabo because, you know, I think you and I and many others are in agreement that Ojabo could have been a top five pick. I think almost certainly would have been top 10 uh, if he didn't blow out that Achilles. I mean, he was in play for, you know, edge three, maybe on this board behind, uh, you know, maybe even edge two behind Aiden Hutchinson. I think it would have been a, an interesting battle between, uh, Ojabo and uh, Kayvon Thibodeau as far as who the uh, the second edge rusher off the board was going to be. So, you know, and obviously, again, Achilles, inj- 
Achilles tears, they can be, you know, rather tricky to come back from. But I think, you know, we're, we've been moving to a point where Achilles injuries have become easier, I guess, to recover from. I think certainly, you know, the, the medical advances we've made and the technologies have made. I mean, look at a guy like Cam Akers, you know, the injury he had in June. We thought he's basically going to be done for the year. He's back in week 18 playing in the regular season game and then playing in the playoffs for the Rams. So, you know, anything's possible. I, I think we can certainly see t- players make uh, speedier recoveries nowadays. So, yeah, if, if he's healthy, I, I think David Ojabo. And I I really like Travis Jones. I mean, this is a really dominant defensive tackle. I thought, you know, we saw him down in Mobile at the Senior Bowl. He looked really, really good. But, yeah, if you can get a potential top 10 pick uh, in the middle of the second round, provided he stays healthy, I think Ojabo can turn out to be a, a huge steal for the Ravens. And now moving on to the Pittsburgh Steelers. And we all know this was arguably the worst quarterback class in years. And the NFL felt the same way. Only one quarterback was selected into the top 73 picks. And that quarterback was obviously Kenny Pickett. And Kenny Pickett went to the team he shared a training facility with when he was in college, the Pittsburgh Steelers. And uh, him going up against Mitchell Trubisky and Mason Rudolph, I think is going to be the biggest uh, most watched uh, training camp battle uh, nationwide this summer. So uh, my question is, when is the earliest you can see Kenny Pickett starting this season? That is a very good question. I, I could see maybe midway through his, uh, his rookie season. I think if, um, you know, because I don't expect him to start week one. If he does, more power to him. And everyone will probably be laughing at Mitchell Trubisky because the Steelers went out and, you know, not that they gave him a lot of money, but we effectively felt that Trubisky was going to be the starter kind of no matter what. And if Kenny Pickett's able to beat him out, then, you know, God bless him. God bless his mentions on Twitter and social media. But I think there's a scenario where, you know, Trubisky starts, maybe things go a little south and Mike Tomlin goes, Okay, let's see what we got in in Kenny Pickett. I think uh, I think this is you know it, it it's so tough too because you know Pickett certainly wasn't my number one quarterback. I remember sitting there thinking, and I you know you and I saw the Steelers basically in love with Malik. Well, at least we thought they were in love with Malik Willis. Maybe they were just blowing smoke in our face this entire time because I remember sitting there when the Steelers were on the clock, thinking, okay, here we go. If they truly loved Malik Willis, we're going to find out right now. And, you know, we saw what happened, obviously. So Pickett to me, I mean, he was, you know, he's ready to compete, but I think there's still flaws in his game. There's flaws kind of in his deep game, a little bit of his decision-making that, you know, I, I just don't think you can thrust him out there that quick. But if things go south with Trubisky and, you know, things start to go south a little bit, on the season, then, you know, I can see a scenario like week 10 ish that, uh, that Kenny Pickett is out there as the starting quarterback. But I mean, this is a talented, this is still a talented roster. I think Trubisky is, should be okay. He obviously, you know, got the, the coaching from Brian Dable last season, you know, so you hope that that kind of carries over to, uh, to Pittsburgh here in Matt Canada and, you know, that he does enough that keeps this team afloat and, 
you know, there's a possibility we don't see Pickett at all this rookie season. But I think maybe week 10-ish is a possible early start uh, for Pickett, depending on how things Oh, absolutely. And the fact that Kenny Pickett was picked a 20th overall as opposed to top 10 uh, tells me that there shouldn't be any pressure whatsoever to rush him out there. Yeah, no, it's understandable. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's still a first round pick, but like you said, it's, it's not a top 10 pick. So, you know, it's, um, it's going to be really interesting. This, you know, cause I don't think this is a fan base either. That's going to really go after the Steelers. If things start to, you know, cause obviously some, you know, there's some fan bases where if things go South and they have a rookie quarterback, they're going to be, you know, dying for that rookie quarterback to get in i don't know how i feel if pittsburgh's going to feel that way or pittsburgh fans are going to feel that way about kenny pickett i think that's gonna it's gonna be really interesting if they'd rather you know pick it or you know we'll see you know are, are they gonna wish they had malik willis i don't know but um yeah top 20 top 20 pick you know it's, it's still a bit of a, a bit of a risk you know certainly a little more a uh, little more pressure, obviously, than, than some of these other quarterbacks. But, you know, like you said, it's not a top 10 pick. So it's not like they have to rush him out uh, so quickly where some of these other teams have had to in the past. So this is going to be this is going to be a fun story to watch with with Pickett and, you know, how he competes. And, you know, he could shock us all. He can, you know, something could click in training camp and he beats out. Mitchell Trubisky, and he is starting in week one against the Bengals. Who knows? You know, this is going to be, I, I think you're right. I think this is going to be a really fascinating quarterback battle in training camp. Oh, it absolutely is. And uh, I think one of the main reasons why the Steelers went with Kenny Pickett is because out of all the quarterbacks in this draft class, he had absolutely the highest floor having played in that pro style system at Pitt and, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, his uh, skill set at least gives you somebody on that Andy Dalton, Kirk Cousins axis and quarterbacks on that axis supported by a solid roster can go very far as uh, we saw with the Bengals uh, in uh, 2015 and the Steelers with Neil O'Donnell, even in the, in the mid nineties, uh, although mm-hmm. that probably won't work in today's NFL, there's a chance it could with an organization like the Steelers. So uh, my question is, do you think the Steelers are the team for Kenny Pickett to overachieve with, so to speak? I think so. Yeah. I mean, he's got the, you know, he's going to have uh, kind of the hometown behind him, you know, having, having played in Pittsburgh, um, you know, he has Pennsylvania ties, his, uh, he, he has family members that have also gone to college uh, in the state of Pennsylvania. You know, I know one of his family members went to Kutztown, so they have that Pennsylvania background and, you know, if there's a coach, if, if there's a head coach that gets the most out of his players, no matter who they are, it's Mike Tomlin. I, I mean, there's a reason Mike Tomlin has been a head coach of the NFL now for 15 years and has yet to have a losing record is because he's just that damn good of, of a head coach. So he's going to get the most out of, out of, out of Kenny Pickett. So yeah, if there was a situation for Pickett to fall into the Steelers, I think are an absolutely really good one 
for him to, to land. And he's got obviously got the talent around him. He'll have Deontay Johnson to throw to a Pat Freer move. He'll have Chase Claypool. So he'll have, and, uh, you know, obviously Najee Harris to hand the ball off to. So he, he's, he's got the, he's got potential. Yes. And speaking of that supporting cast, the Steelers added to that supporting cast for Kenny Pickett in the second round by taking Georgia wide receiver, George Pickens and Pickens was a guy um, who fell due to injury and character concerns. But if it wasn't for that, uh, Greg Cosell believed that uh, George Pickens was the most talented wide receiver in this draft class this year, period. And Greg Cosell is a guy whose opinion we have to value tremendously given his years of experience in digesting film. Uh, so do you think there was legit argument for George Pickens being the best receiver in this class, at least in terms of raw talent? Without the injury, absolutely. I mean, you know, there's a reason why when the injury happened that we all of a sudden became so concerned about the Georgia offense that it's you know almost incredible that Georgia still did as well as they did on offense. Cause it's not like Stetson Bennett, you know, with all due respect, Stetson Bennett wasn't, you know, blowing people out of the water. So the fact that they did what they did on offense, win, winning the national title, you know, obviously a lot of, you know, they just had such an incredible defense, but still the, the offense still had to put up points, <laughs> you know, the offense still had to put up at least a few points. So to do that without George Pickens or at least a fully healthy George Pickens, uh, was was incredible to watch. So w- without a doubt, he was absolutely in the mix. You know, the size, the speed, he pretty much had it all. Um, but if there's a team, like like we just talked about with Pickett, as far as like situations and landing spots, if there's a team that has done a really good job of drafting wide receivers, you know, throwing darts at the wide receiver position and, you know, hitting bullseye, hitting, you know, 20s, double 20s, whatever term you want to use uh, with with darts. If there's a team that's been nailing pretty well at the wide receiver position, it's the Steelers. You know, they constantly are drafting, you know, one or two receivers a year and a bunch of them just just seem to click. And obviously they did that again this year, drafting a couple of wide receivers. So, you know, if there's a situation, you know, if there's a if there's a potential X factor in this draft for, for the Steelers, it's absolutely going to be Pickens. I mean, you know, and he'll be able to take his time and get, you know, get fully healthy and work, work his way into the offense and can absolutely create a, a new trio of him, Deontay Johnson and Chase Claypool. Now that Juju is in Kansas city. So I think there's uh, I think there's a lot to like here with this wide receiver core in, in Pittsburgh, I, I think there's, there's so much talent. And again, it goes back to what we said with Kenny Pickett, you know, he, that's where the potential is. He's got weapons to throw to, and that is going to include George Pickens uh, provided he, you know, and then I hate saying that sounded like a broken record, but provided he can stay healthy, Pickens is going to be, I, I think a really good force on this offense. Yes. And should George Pickens stay healthy? Would you be surprised or shocked if he ends up becoming the go-to guy for Kenny Pickett in the passing game long-term? Not at all. Uh, I think him and Deontay Johnson really can complement each other so well. You know, I know Chase Claypool said what he said and more power to him. And and I think he's going to be a fine wide receiver. But George Pickens still feels like he has that wide receiver one potential. And if you can mix that skill set with what Deontay Johnson does all over the field, 
I think you've got the makings of a really good offense here, a, a really explosive offense. So, yeah, without a doubt, I, I think Pickens can do a lot of damage in, in this Pittsburgh offense. He most certainly can. And in the third round, the Steelers drafted a guy who was hyped as a potential top 10 to 15 pick early in the draft process in Texas A&M's DeMarvin Leal. And uh, he probably fell because uh, of uh, tweener traits and his uh, mm-hmm. underwhelming uh, 2021 game film. Uh, and uh, looking at DeMarvin Leal, um, it's kind of hard for me to envision what long-term role he has with this Steelers uh, defensive line. Uh, is he that five tech? Uh, is he that uh, sub package interior rusher? Uh, what do you think is the most uh, realistic long-term role for DeMarvin Leal with the Steelers? Yeah, I, I felt at first when, uh, you know, Stefan Tuitt retired that he can kind of fit into that role. And I think you're, you'll still see him a little bit uh, in there. Um, you know, but they did, of course, just go out and sign Larry Ogunjobi. So he can very well be uh, that nose tackle now for Pittsburgh. And then you still have Chris Warmley. You still have uh, Cameron Hayward there on the front line. You could still work Leal in, um, you know, they still have Tyson Alualu as well and Isaiah Loudermilk. Um, so Leal is going to be fascinating because, like you said, once upon a time, uh, he, he's appearing in mock drafts in the top 10, top 15 picks. Um, you know, didn't really excite a lot of people in the 2021 season, like you said. So that certainly led to his, uh, his slip. But again, we're talking about you know, an organization that just gets so much talent, just gets the most talent out of their players, especially on defense. And, you know, you have Terrell Austin running the show now on defense. And, of course, Brian Flores is there as well. So I think think they're the type of coaches that Liel needs to kind of bring out the, the potential that I think he still has. Absolutely. And now moving on to the team that you cover for the USA Today Bengals Wire, the defending AFC champion Cincinnati Bengals. And with the 31st overall pick of the draft, they selected one of my personal favorite players in this entire draft in Michigan defensive back uh, Daxton Hill. And uh, I was uh, analyzing Daxton Hill, as many others were on this program, as a Tyron Matthew type player, meaning a nickel corner and safety. But Greg Cosell to bring uh, bringing him up again. Uh, he brought up another interesting point about Daxon Hill. He absolutely loved watching Daxon Hill's reps at Michigan at boundary corner. And he thinks Daxon Hill could be an amazing boundary corner in the NFL for what that's worth. And uh, that said, it is Greg Cosell and we have to value his opinion quite a bit here. And do you share Greg Cosell's view that Daxon Hill can thrive at boundary corner should the Bengals decide to utilize him there? I can definitely see that. And, and just real quick, just, just kind of rewind a little bit. When we talked about the Ravens, we talked about Mike McDonald and how he can utilize Kyle Hamilton. He obviously worked with Dax Hill uh, in college. So, you know, he can kind of take what he did with Dax Hill, work it over with Kyle Hamilton. So he's going to go from one stud safety uh, to another with the Ravens. So, but yeah, Dax Hill is the type of player that uh, defensive coordinator Lou Anarumo can absolutely fall in love with because Lou is a guy that loves versatility on on his defense. And there were not too many more versatile players in this draft class than Dax Hill. 
He can play outside. He can play safety. He can play nickel. He can play, you know, basically wherever you want. And I think this is certainly a long-term pick as well, because it would not surprise me if Dax Hill is starting in place of Jesse Bates in 2023. In fact, I think both safeties that they took uh, in this class could very well be your starting safeties in 2023, Jesse Bates and Tyson Anderson. But for now, Dax Hill is going to move all over the field because you'll still have Bates, you'll still have Bell uh, in the safety, but you know, he could play nickel, but uh, obviously they still have Mike Hilton there. But at boundary corner, I mean, there's going to be a lot of, co- I, I think he can certainly compete with and beat out guys like uh, Eli Apple, you know, and, you know, work opposite uh, Chittabay Woozy. And we'll obviously talk about another corner uh, here in the, in just a moment in that mix as well. But yeah, Dax Hill, you know, I, I, I love the pick. I think, you know, this was just the Bengals. I think we're in a, a best player available position, and this was definitely a a BPA pick for him. So Anurum was going to have a lot of fun with this one. I think. Oh, absolutely! Cannot wait to see Jackson Hill in that uh, talented Bengals uh, secondary this season. And the Bengals, probably because they're not confident in keeping Jesse Bates long term, uh, they double dipped in the secondary in round two, trading up three spots to select. Uh, Nebraska's Cam Taylor Britt and uh, Mike Renner of Pro Football Focus, however, brought up a very interesting point about Cam Taylor Britt because he thinks Cam Taylor Britt could be an even better safety in the NFL than a corner. And uh, you kind of answered this uh, question subtly um, a couple seconds ago, but I want you to go into more depth here. Do you see Cam Taylor Britt as a corner or safety for the Bengals in the long run? I think right now they they'll probably keep him a corner and uh, because I think they're also pretty high, like I said, on Tyson Anderson, their fifth round safety out of Toledo. I think he's a guy that, you know, he can play in the box and uh, do really well there. I think he's a pretty good tackler and you can allow Hill to kind of uh, move around in the deep part of the field uh, at safety. Can Taylor Britt, I really like what he brings to the table you know, on the outside, I think he has, he has good coverage skills. You know, we talked about Dax Hill competing at the corner position. I think Cam Taylor Britt uh, can do that as well. You know, it would not surprise me if, um, you know, he beats out uh, Eli Apple. I, I, you know, that that corner position is going to be so fun to watch in this in this Bengals camp because I think Shidave Awuzie is probably set at one of the starter. Uh, starting positions at corner, but that second corner position is wide open. And I, it, I'm going to be really intrigued to see what they do with Hill, if they give him some reps there, uh, how often they work, Cam Taylor Britt, and, you know, how much of an opportunity Eli Apple is going to get after, of course, you know, what we saw in, in the Super Bowl. But in, in terms of the safety position, obviously, like I said earlier, there's going to be open spots there in 2023 because I don't think Jesse Bates is going to be there in 23. And I don't, and I think this is probably Von Bell because he's a free agent after the season as well. So you're probably going to have two new safeties. One of them is probably going to be Dax, unless they want to keep Dax Hill uh, on the outside and let uh, Taylor Britt be that opposite safety with Tyson Anderson. I think there's a lot of options. And again, it's that versatility that Lou Anarumo 
really likes. And so, you know, it's a, it's a good problem to have, to have all these players here in all these different positions, you know, and just trying to be able to get your best 11 on, on the field. So it's, uh, it's quite a log jam, but it's a good log jam to have. Oh, absolutely. The Bengals have a stacked secondary, not just this year, but going forward as well. And in the third round, the Bengals addressed a very underrated need for them at defensive tackle with Zachary Carter out mm -hmm. of Florida. Now, uh, you mentioned Larry Ogunjobi earlier. Larry Ogunjobi had a very, very underrated year for the Bengals last year before he got hurt in that uh, wildcard playoff game against the uh, Raiders. Uh, yet, obviously, there you go. Joby's with the Steelers now, but the Bengals uh, have DJ Reader and they re-signed BJ Hill. But none of those two guys bring to the table what Ogan Joby brought to the table. And do you think Zachary Carter brings those traits that Larry Ogan Joby brought to the Bengals defensive line? And do you see him as an ideal replacement for that Larry Ogan Joby role going forward? Yeah, I think eventually, you know, Zach Carter will step in and take over one of those tackle roles. I think right now he gives you a uh, a really good backup to DJ Reader and, and BJ Hill. I, I think BJ Hill really was one of the the pleasant surprises, not just of this Bengals team, but kind of the entire NFL. I mean, that was one of those rare win-win trades, win-win player for player trades, because I mean the guy they traded to the Giants, Billy Price, wound up being a solid starter for them as well uh, at center. And you know, BJ BJ Hill, they were able to resign him. Um, so that that worked out really well. But Zach Carter, you know, a really, uh, really intriguing player here. Really, uh, you know, another guy that I think you can kind of move him around a little bit on, on that front line. And like I said, kind of as your, you know, sort of your DT3 right now, I, th I think you can do a lot worse, especially considering they really don't have much outside of him. I mean, you know, Josh Tupo, they still kind of like him. Um, Tyler Shelvin, their fourth round pick in 2021 is just kind of your big nose tackle. Really can't move him around. Uh, but there is a, you know, an undrafted name too, that, uh, made a little bit of noise at OTAs that I think is going to be interesting to watch in training camp. And that's Tericrius, uh, Tisdale, uh, the undrafted free agent out of uh, Mississippi, excuse me. So, you know, he's going to be a, an interesting name. To, to kind of follow after uh, making a little bit of noise. Uh, but yeah, other than that, they really didn't have much, you know, like, like you said, it was an underrated need. I think they needed some long-term help at the defensive tackle position. And to get a guy like Zach Carter here in, in the third round, I think was a, a really nice, a, a really nice step go, going forward there. He is Billy Rossetti, ladies and gentlemen, of the USA Today Bengals Wire. You can follow him on Twitter at Billy underscore Rossetti. That's R-I-C-C-E-T-T-E. -T -T -E. And Billy, thank you so much once again for joining us. But before I let you go, my man, we want you to name a player, either drafted or undrafted, from each team that we have not discussed yet that you think will have a very successful NFL career, starting with the Cleveland Browns. So if we're talking about the Browns, um, I think one name that's uh, pretty interesting pretty interesting for me to follow is their seventh round pick Dawson Deaton out of Texas Tech I mean they're they're pretty set at the the guard position with Joel Batonio and, and Wyatt Teller but I think Deaton's a guy that can certainly come in and uh really compete for one of those backup roles I think he's a, an intriguing guy and then you know I'll just throw out real quick too their fifth round pick Jerome Ford loved watching him at Cincinnati 
Uh, Kareem Hunt probably going to be gone after this season. Jerome Ford is certainly a guy that I think could possibly take over one of those uh, one of those running back roles for Cleveland down the line. Baltimore, you know, we we kind of touched on uh, the tight ends a little bit, um, and they of course took two of them in the fourth round. Uh, also, shout out to the uh, the kicker or the uh, the punter Jordan Stout that they took in the fourth round. Uh, but the two tight ends, I really like Isaiah, especially Isaiah Likely. Really intrigued what uh, what the Ravens have in store with him. Charlie Kolar uh, is intriguing as well. But I, I have to show love to my man Daniel Falele. You know, got him in the fourth round. Uh, we were just amazed at the size, and we've talked about this numerous times. The size and the speed. You know, just the way he moves for being almost 400 pounds. So Falele is going to be so much fun to watch. I think. Uh, in Baltimore. Tyler Beatty is going to be interesting too, I think, as well. Their sixth round running back out of Missouri. Pittsburgh, um, we obviously talked a lot about George Pickens. I think uh, Calvin Austin, really going to be fun to watch uh, watch him as well. I think you know his size obviously isn't the greatest, but the kid can just play. You know, Cal- Calvin Austin is just a great player, so I'm going to be fascinated uh, to watch him, uh, Con- Connor Hayward, of course, the brother of uh, Casey Hay- or uh, Cameron Hayward, uh, their sixth-round tight end out of Michigan State. I think he could be kind of versatile as well in that Pittsburgh offense. So he's going to be uh, intriguing to watch there. And then for the Bengals, you know, we touched on Tyson Anderson a little bit uh, in the fifth round. I touched on uh, Turquoise Tisdale uh, a little bit. Um, I'll throw out another undrafted name that's also been kind of buzzing a little bit so far at OTAs, and that's Kwame Lasseter II, their undrafted rookie out of Kansas. I think there's, you know, going to be a really good competition. I think there's an open spot for, say, the fifth or sixth wide receiver spot, because I think they're, you know, certainly their top three are obviously set. I think Stanley Morgan is probably in good shape to be the number four. But then with guys like uh, Mike Thomas and Trent Taylor in the mix, I think there's possibility for a guy like Lassiter to uh, to step in there, you know, and he he had a pretty good career and uh, uh, while at Kansas and he has an NFL pedigree, his dad played in the NFL as well. So if, if there's a name to throw out there uh, as far as undrafted uh, for the Bengals, I think Lassiter is going to be an intriguing name to fall. So I'll be excited to watch him when the Pats come on. He is Billy Rossetti, ladies and gentlemen, of the USA Today, Bengals Wire. Follow him on Twitter at Billy underscore Rossetti. Billy, thank you so much once again. And that's it for today here on Sports Crunch. But our recaps of the 2022 NFL Draft Classes will continue shortly in the AFC South with our good friend Cole Thompson. And in a moment you've all been waiting for, part two of our Beyond the Chap series with the 2022 Denver Broncos cheerleaders, which features my good friend Alexandria, will drop on July 5th or 6th. So stay tuned, folks. You do not want to miss any of this special series. Meanwhile, be sure to follow me on Twitter at dcrom 59 and on Instagram and now TikTok at SportsCrunch with dcrom. And remember, that's Crunch with a K. For Billy Rossetti, this is David Cromwell saying so long and whatever you do, Please choose love, please choose kindness, please choose compassion, please choose empathy, and please keep the people of Buffalo, Uvalde, Texas, and the brave, inspiring people of Ukraine in your thoughts, prayers, and whatever actions possible. Until next time, cats, kittens, stay cool.